Okay, well, we're obviously facing some difficulties, but I trust you guys, you guys got us on that, so you'll, you'll take care of us. We, uh, we're looking here at the lights of Christmas. Before we get into my message this morning, I, I do want to remind you of a couple things. First of all, we have, um, we have Christmas Eve service, um, Thursday, December 24th, um, 4 to 5 p.m., um, so we're going to come. We're going to plan on streaming that as well. If our streaming works, we'll be we'll be just fine. Um, so plan to come to that. Um, we'll have a good time. We'll see how that goes. Um, also tonight, Zoom fellowship, just to connect with those who uh, perhaps aren't here. Perhaps just want to say hi, um, meet with people, talk, pray. Uh, just sort of a, a free time that we have. That's been a it's been a good time. If you want to join us, you all know, get in the link. So. If that works for you, that would be great. Well, this Christmas season, we're considering the theme of lights, as you see there on uh, the overhead, the lights of Christmas, which, as I have argued, it's really especially appropriate for us, this 2020, this 2020, which began with so much promise and yet has been filled with so much difficulty. Uh, COVID-19 has spread across our world, which is brought on what I like to call the earlier-than-expected deaths of many hundreds of thousands in America. Uh, our governmental response to coronavirus has, has caused many problems as well. Our economic impact uh, brought on depression and anxiety and loneliness and fear and hardships and tensions. Yet you add to that the, the racial tensions in our country, um, the the wildfires out west, our political divide of our nation, our, our country's faced some difficult times, really some uh, dark days we've entered into in 2020, and we really need some Christmas light. I had a good illustration of that this summer when Yvonne and I were on sabbatical, and uh, we spent most of our time with uh, Yvonne's parents, but, but we took a trip up north, uh, up to the Lake Shasta area, and uh, we toured uh, Shasta Caverns. Here's a a picture of uh, where we were. This is kind of like the grand, I'm not sure what they called it there, the grand like cathedral or something. It was like the, the big place really opened up and really had neat formations that the, the water dripping down from the earth uh, above and forming all these different mineral deposits was, was really interesting. But as I remember right, there was one point in time when it was like that and uh, the tour guide turned off the lights. And, and all of you have been in a, a cave, touring a cave before, know what that's like when, when all lights are off. This is different than when you're in your basement where there are lights creeping through someplace. This is like total pitch dark, and you put your hand in front of your face and nothing. You can't see any sort of shade or shadows or, or anything. It is just as dark as dark can be. Even disorienting, it can be there. Um, confusion kind of wraps over you. But, but even the, the smallest of lights... Say like an iPhone, if someone turned on a phone, you just see that and it would come out big and bright and you begin to orient yourself of, of where you are and what you're doing. Um, and that's a little bit like it was for ancient Israel. As dark as, as 2020 has been, it, it's, it's nothing like many other people have faced in times past, say during the days of the Holocaust or even during the days of Israel. I mean, they, they were facing some dark times as well. Uh, before Jesus came... Uh, to our earth, um, there were 400 years of silence that, that Israel was looking for a prophet, looking for a word from God, and nothing was coming. Furthermore, 
they were a conquered kingdom. The Romans had, had overtaken them and were exerting their sovereign control over them. And, and they oppressed them, forcing them to pay taxes to a government they hated. And, and, and this government, they ruled over them with an iron fist. And Israel did not like it at all. God seemed to be absent. It was, it was really dark. And they cried to the Lord, but he was silent. I'm sure that David's Psalm 13 related well with them. And so they, they just cried out, How long, O Lord? How long will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Now, that was the flavor. We might be saying that about COVID, right? How long until this is over? But they were 400 years and they were severely oppressed and they were in great hardship. And God was silent. So they were pleading and praying and longing for the Lord to intervene. And then he did. With a tiny little light. Like, like, like an iPhone LED light in the midst of that dark cave. A little light shone in their life. That was the, the baby born in Bethlehem. And his name was Jesus. And he brought light to the world. And uh, we are looking at the lights of Christmas. Um, early on, there were several men who identified Jesus is a light. You remember who those two men were? Who remembers them? Name some kids. You remember the two men from last week that, that shone light upon who Jesus was? Yes, Noel? Zechariah and Simeon. Right? These two men, Zechariah, both, both godly old men, both testified of that very thing. Zechariah's story is told in uh, Luke chapter 1. He's a priest who went into the Holy of Holies and encountered an angel with a, a message there that he'd have a son and his son would be great and his son would lead the way and prepare for the Messiah to come. And then even before Jesus was born, uh, when John was being circumcised, Zechariah prophesied of Jesus that Jesus would give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And that's what Jesus did. He, he gave light. He came to Israel, those who sat in darkness. And Jesus came to bring light, to bring them out of their darkness. And he did it by speaking the truth, by, by living the truth, eventually dying as our sinless substitute, redeem us from our sins. As Zechariah had prophesied, he said in Luke 1, 68, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Through the light, that is through this baby that will be born. Jesus, even as this little baby, is bringing light. And Simeon, right? We saw, saw that story in Luke chapter 2. He's the, the old man, probably a priest, spent much time in the temple. And it was, the Holy Spirit told him that he wouldn't die until he saw the Lord's Christ. And when Jesus came into the temple at his dedication, he saw Jesus and knew this was the Christ. And he blessed God, saying, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Luke 2, 29 and 30. In other words, he said, Lord, you promised me that I would see the Christ before I die. And I see this little baby here. I'm learning his name is Jesus. And this is the Christ. I can die now. So take me home. I've seen the salvation that you have given to us. It's coming in this little baby. And then he describes Jesus with these words. Luke 2, verse 32. He's a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Light to the Gentiles, glory to the Jews. And of course, in time, this proved true. 
that Jesus lived his life as a light, as he taught the truth, as he showed us how to live, and he showed us the way of salvation through faith in his name. And the reason, it's interesting, the reason why Jesus was a light for us is because he, he is light. As John 8, verse 12 says, I am the light of the world. See, the reason why Jesus shined his light for all to see is that he is light himself. Right? I mean, I've got a little flashlight here. Right? And, and it's not as if Jesus came and held this flashlight and showed us the way of where to go. It's that Jesus himself is the flashlight that we can watch and see and know where to go. He needed no flashlight. He himself was the flashlight. He was light. Not that he didn't, he didn't bring light. He was light. And that's my message this morning is entitled this, Jesus is light. And my hope and prayer for these messages we think about light is that God will give us light in these dark days of 2020. In the way of text this morning, what I want to do is just simply just walk through the Gospel of John. Um, Jesus said in, in, um, in John 8, verse 12, that I am the light of the world. And this light is a constant theme throughout the Gospel of John. And so simply what I did was I just took up a, a Bible search. You guys could do it probably right now on your phone, and you'll know the exact text I'm going to go through as you look at light through the Gospel of John. It appears some 20-plus times as he alludes to Jesus being light. My message this morning, I just want to let these texts form the, the basis of what I'm going to speak on this morning as we speak about Jesus as light. So, first time that's done in the Gospel of John is in John chapter 1. So you can turn over there. It, John begins with the first 18 verses called the, the prologue. That is the, the first words. Pro means first and log from logos, word. This is the first word. Um, this is fair, kind of a, a poetic sort of, uh, sort of introduction to us. It begins with Jesus being identified as the creator of the world. Then it talks about John the Baptist and then describes Jesus and, and what, who he is and the mission that he went on. And the first thing that we see in, uh, in this text is that Jesus is called the living light. The living light. Right, right, verse 1. Let's, let's pick it up there. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And here we see Jesus, the Word. He is with God in the beginning, and Jesus is creating everything. There's not anything that was made that Jesus himself didn't make. It means that Jesus wasn't a created being because he made everything. And then in verse 4, after speaking about Jesus, who he is, the word, the creator, he then comes and we read of, of Jesus being described as light. In him, verse 4 says, in him was life. And the life was a light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, th- there's a phrase in here that's sort of confusing. There's some things in here that's really plain and some things that aren't. That's what makes the prologue so difficult. Is It's not necessarily poetic, but it's, it's kind of difficult to tie John down to exactly what he's meaning by his words. The first phrase is easy, in him was life. Jesus is the one who created all things. He's the creator of life. In him was life. Life came out of him, right? That's easy enough for us all. But then comes the difficult part. 
the life was the light of men. And I've thought long and hard and read, just trying to understand, what does it mean that the life is the light of men? I mean, you kind of understand it here. Jesus was, was life, and, and his life right, became the, the light of men and how that, how that comes. I, I think the best way to understand this is that the very path to life was Jesus, in whom is all life. Here, this life came into the world, life into a dark place, like light in a cave, to lead people to have life. Here is the, the creator of the world, came into the world as light, which shines in a dark place to give us light, to give us life. The light was there to see, and the life was there to be had. I think that's kind of what it means, is that in him was life. The life was the light of men. And then verse 5 sets up the battle of the book of John. It's a battle between light and darkness. It's a battle between Jesus and those who opposed him. It's a battle between the one who is giving life and the ones who are leading to death. It says, verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. You know, so though many have tried to suppress Jesus... And, and defeat him and, and overcome him. What this verse says is that Jesus has prevailed. The light of life shined bright. Despite how much the Pharisees and the Sadducees tried to reject Jesus. Despite chapter 7 when his brothers didn't, didn't really believe in him and tried to suppress him. No, the, the light has conquered it all. The darkness has not overcome the light. The light has overcome the darkness. And I can't help but this Christmas season... And every Christmas season to, to think about what a great metaphor this is to us in our day um, where we are. You know, even in America, in the secular world, there, Jesus is all around us. I mean, there's music in the stores that sing of Jesus and the traditional hymns. It's kind of uh, veiled, but if you hear it, the O Come All Ye Faithful is played in the, um, in the stores. Some other good traditional silent night is played in the stores, away in a manger, played in the stores. Now, the stores try to drown that out um, with some secular songs, but there still is. I mean, even Christmas at least has Christ in the name. And, and, and around you'll see even images of, of Mary and Joseph and the, the baby Jesus in a manger. You'll see that. But what the world tries to do <clears throat> is try to overwhelm the, this Christian message with uh, the different things of Christmas. They'll sing only secular songs of Christmas, making Christmas to be about sleigh bells and snow and, and glamour and gifts and family and friends and, and just this, this joyous holiday time, just a holiday with family and friends, vacation. Now, not all that's bad. Some of that's good. Um, but in the, the secularization of things, um, just, just you get the stores and, and you kind of see in the slide here, what I tried to do is just blot out Jesus. Like you got the stores and, and everything there all being about the, the glitz and the, and the glamour, trying to drown out the message of Jesus in this Christmas season. Um, but as you see in the slide there, Jesus is just a little bit, he's, he's still there. He still overcomes. The good news is that light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it so even these days of commercialized christmas jesus still shines and we see more of the light coming in the next few verses we we read there in verse six we read about 
this man sent from God whose name is John. And we, we read about John last week. We considered this when he was the, the son of Zechariah the priest. He was the, the forerunner to Jesus, the one who was there to prepare the way. And um, we, we read a little bit about him, how he indeed was, was that one. But it's exactly what verses 7 and 8 say, kind of in a, in a nutshell. This John came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. John the Baptist was not the light, but John the Baptist was a flashlight. He was a flashlight pointing the way to Jesus. He said, that's Jesus. You go look at him. And Jesus is the one who is the flashlight. So he's a flashlight lighting at a light. And he's really clear about this. He wasn't the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. And that just this continues to, to show us about how Jesus is a light. He is the, the true light. So he's identified in verse 9. He's identified as the true light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And, and, and so here even you see this picture about John in this prologue is kind of describing the big picture of things. This man came, John, and he's talking about Jesus. Jesus was coming into the world. That is Christmas. This true light coming into the world. The sad reality then is found in verse 10. That says, he was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. How sad it is, if you just think about that, that the creator of the universe, the one who made the world, he stepped into his own creation, and the world didn't even know. Just sort of like passed him by. Didn't know, ignored him, abused him. And, and you know, again, how much that's like our, our Christmas day, right? There's so much going on. All around us with the, the, the radio and the decorations. And it's all about evergreens and holly and, and parties. And Jesus can easily get lost in it all. Yet Jesus is the very reason for it all. I saw this quote this week. Tim Chester says this. Jesus is for life. Not just for Christmas. He's not just the reason for the season. He's the meaning of everything. He's not just the point of Christmas. He's the purpose of life. And, and, and that's just a great quote to speak about how many times you heard Jesus is the reason for the season. Well, yes. But he's so much more than that. It's, it's this light that has come into the world. He's the purpose of your life. He's the purpose of my life. We must receive him. As John speaks about then in in verses 11, 12, and 13, he says, He came into his own, and his own people did not receive him. It's like he's coming into his his family. He's coming, particularly, he's talking about coming to the Jews. He's coming to his people, his chosen people from Abraham and all those who came after him. He came to them, and they, they didn't know him. They didn't receive him. They rejected him. But the good news, verse 12, is for us and for all who did receive him, because there were some. The disciples did, and by the time he left the earth, there was 120 at least who did. But to those who did receive him, and receive him, that just means, right, believing in his name, as it says here, who believed in his name, right, trusting him, believing him to be the Messiah. To those who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. 
And that's the great promise of Christmas. That here's this child who's come, who's, who's grown up, and then he dies upon a cross, but we just, we just need to believe in him, we need to trust him, we need to receive him, and we then join his family, becoming a children of God. And this child, it's different than us. It's not born of, of blood. It's not that we are of the physical lineage of Jesus, nor the world of flesh that even speaks about. It's not even so much of our desire to, to get in there, but it's God. It's the will of God who puts us in there and brings us into his kingdom, and we simply need to receive his light to see that and experience that. So I just say, have you received him? You see your light. You see your light. That's what we're talking about. He's the whole reason why we celebrate the Christmas season. If that question isn't asked you, and in light of the light of Christmas, and in light of uh, what, what we're celebrating, if he's not your light, you haven't received him, then Christmas will be in vain to you. Well, let's move on. He is the, the living light. He's also the judging light. So the next time when light is used, it's mentioned in the Gospel of John. It's mentioned in chapter 3 and verses 19 through 21. Uh, these verses come right after verse 16, which come right after Jesus' discussion with uh, Nicodemus when he said, you must be born again. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus was all confused about things. And, and, and Jesus says, the wind blows where it will, where, where it goes. You don't even know. So does the Spirit of God. It's going to blow this way or another. You need to be changed and radically transformed. Nicodemus didn't understand these things. As it says in verse 9, how can these things be? And Jesus said, verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then comes that famous verse, verse 16. Most famous verse in all the Bible that we know and love and spend much time on and really focus on. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And that is a precious verse. And that does bring the gospel to us with so much clarity. It really it begins with God. <clears throat> it begins with His heart towards us, that he has a heart of, of love towards us, so much so that he's willing to give his only son to us, that we might believe and have life in his name. He was God the Father with his precious only son, and he's willing to give him. That's different than giving him in marriage, okay? Not, not that, you know, our, our son got married this fall, and, and I didn't necessarily give son away, or you give the daughter away, but we gave permission and blessing there. But that, that's giving away to a good life. But God gave his son to die a, a painful and shameful death on the cross. That's hard. And, and I, I've learned afresh in recent weeks of just the, the difficulty of the son and uh, the, the difficulty, what it means that God the Father gave his only son. There's a, a blog I read every day. I know that some of you do as well. It's called Challies.com. It's written by Tim Challies, a skillful writer, a, a humble man that gives really great insight into the Christian life. And uh, I think that he's posted something every day for 15 years. It's kind of the stick to that he has. Um, recently, tragedy struck in his home. And uh, for those of you who know, uh, this is his son, Nick. He was a, a junior, I think, at uh, Boyce Seminary. 
Boyce College, which is part of Southern Seminary, and uh, he was a junior there, and um, <clears throat> he died suddenly, November 4th, 2020, and this is what Challies wrote in his blog. And again, this is just to understand John 3.16 before we get to the light. This is just so good. He says, In all the years I've been writing, I've never had to type words more difficult, more devastating than these. Yesterday, the Lord called my son to himself. My dear son, my sweet son, my kind son, my godly son, my only son. Nick was playing a game with his sister and fiance and many other students when he suddenly collapsed, never regaining consciousness. Students, paramedics, and doctors battled valiantly but could not save him. He's with the Lord he loved, the Lord he longed to serve. We have no answers to the what or why questions. Yesterday, Aline and I, his wife, cried and cried and cried until we could cry no more, until there were no tears left to cry. Then later in the evening, we looked at each other in the eye and said, we can do this. We don't want to do this, but we know we can do this, this sorrow, this grief, this devastation, because we know we don't have to do it in our own strength. We can do it like Christians, like a son and daughter of the father who knows what it's like to lose a son. And just, I know I've been really struck by that as I think about my son's SR or David or my children, Hannah, or Stephanie, or, or Carissa, just if one of them passed away suddenly, just the depth of the sorrow that I would have in my heart. And, and over subsequent days and weeks, he sporadically posted um, posts about what he's dealing with as he deals with his son who just passed away. And they've been heart-touching posts. Um, but it's caused me really to think about John 3.16. And what does it mean that God gave his only son to us. Nick was a student studying for the ministry. He's a godly man, real gentle boy, um, real knowledgeable, bookworm, just loved God. And Tim loved Nick. He, he demonstrated, as, as uh, Tim said, he went to Louisville, went through his dorm room and was gathering up his things. One of the things he found was a, a note and a, a letter that he had written to his son before leaving on the trip. And here's the note that he wrote. He says, Nick, before I head to India, this is 2018, there are a few things I want to clarify. First, I I love you as much as any father can love a son. Second, I'm as proud of you as any father can be proud of a son. Third, I miss you as much as any father can miss a son. Love, Dad. And uh, that was the love that Tim had for his son. And I, and I do believe that that's such the love that the father had for God the Son, yet infinitely more precious and infinitely more caring. And that's the one that God gave to us. He gave his, his son, his only son, the son he loved for us, that we just might believe in him and have everlasting life according to the promise of verse 16. And we could say more, obviously, there, but we've got to get on to the light in uh, John, which is 19.20. So let's pick up 17. Now, verse 17, there are riches here, right? For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. And here it comes. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already 
because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. And, and the picture here is that the God is basically offering his son, his son he loves, who's going to go and crucify, be crucified on that cross. And, and, and those who refuse life will die. Or to use the words of Jesus, they will be condemned because the light coming in the world is a, is a judging light. To, the, the word judge, it just means basically to divide. Um, it, it means you're, someone comes and you're going to decide one way or the other, whether innocent or guilty. And, and that's, that's the whole issue with the light. The light comes into the world and separates and divides and conquers between innocent and guilty. And it brings us really to a crossroads innocent or or guilty which way are we going to go we're going to go towards the way of jesus or we're going to go the way of our own selves are we going to go the way of light or we're going to go the way of darkness and that's exactly what 19 through 21 lay out this is the judgment there it is the judging light that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it might be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And really that's the reality of Jesus coming in the world that we celebrate at Christmas. That light is coming and it comes to bring a judgment. Light has come into the world. the, The light that exposes sin. And it gives people really a choice. To follow after the light or to reject the light and to walk in darkness. And those who reject the light hide away. They don't want people to see what they're doing. They, they don't want people to know. They don't want people to see their business. They want to live out their sin without any accountability. And before the Lord, it's rejecting the Lord. And they want to just to pursue their own life. As Romans 1 says, just suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. No, God, I, I don't want that. I don't want that light. I want to walk in my way which is the way of death. But there are those who accept the light, who trust the light, have no need to hide. Just, just say, here, I, I'm following you. I'm, I'm wanting to pursue after you, and here's, here's my life. And that's what the, the, the light does. It divides. It, it separates between those who walk in darkness and those who walk in light. So here's the question, right? Have you believed in the light? Are you walking in the light? Are you walking in darkness? You know, it's interesting here also, just to clarify, with the gospel, the reason why people walk in the light is not because they know they're so righteous, but because they know they have a Savior who's going to cleanse them from all their sin. Um, Levon and I were talking this past week about some podcasts and blogs and things like that that we have been have read, and, and she texted me one from Ray Ortland Jr., um, and uh, he, he deemed that he was going to retire from his church when he got to be 70. And this was one day after his 70th birthday that he, he retired from his church. And um, he said, so I missed it by a day. But he'd been playing this for a long time and transitioned through what he was doing. And, and he talked about all the things he loved about his church. And he was talking about the call to worship of the church he pastored for years. And this is something like this was repeated at the beginning of every service um, and it goes something like this. I think these are his notes that originally were written out, and then I think he edited them, but I think this is what he, he read consistently. He said, Welcome to all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, 
to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fail and desire strength, to all who sin and need a Savior, to all who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and to whoever will come, this church opens her doors wide and offers her welcome in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a call to worship. Just, where are you? come. And these are the people who come to the light. It's not that their, their deeds are, are instantly righteous. It's just that they, they, they know that they're helpless and weak and, and heavy laden. They know that Jesus is a, a savior who receives them and receives them well. And it's not so much that we're great lights that shine so brightly. It's just that we're, we're not ashamed to be open and exposed because we know that our savior will take us in if we but desire to walk in the light. But the light judges and it divides between those who want to be exposed and those who are unwilling to be exposed. And these are the type of people who are willing to be exposed, who, who know that they, they need help and know that they're worthless and know that they fail and know that God will be the great Savior. And then he'll transform them, his light and his strength. Well, We've seen the, the living light, that is the light to come into the world, the creating light comes into the world and gives life. We see the judging light, the light that divides, and now we look at the present light. You get that from John chapter 8 and verse 12, where Jesus says, famously, it's really the reason really why I came into John chapter 8, is because Jesus said, spoke to them saying, verse 12, I am the light of the world. He's what I'm calling. He's the present light. He is the, the, the light um, that, that just speaks about the I am. There's the present character of it. And, and these words are in the, the present tense. They're, they're in the, the tense that implies just a, a continual truth that this is exactly where I am. See, when, when Jesus walked on the earth, he didn't say I was the light of the world. He didn't say, I will be the light of the world. He says that I am the light of the world. What Jesus was then, he is now and today and forever. Jesus is the light of the world. Not Moses or Muhammad or Buddha or Hare Krishna or or others. Maybe some, some psychologists you listen to or some philosophers you listen to or some good writers or some good preachers they're not the light we're like john the baptist right pointing to the light saying no look at him we're light shining on the light it's who all of us must be but jesus says that when you follow him again the same themes come up again and again when you follow him you will have life look at verse 12 and again jesus spoke to them saying i am the light of the world Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is a message that John just bangs over and over and over and over again. That, that, that if you believe and trust in Jesus, you'll have life. Right? And, and we are we're looking really at that light. That John is the one who gives that life. And you say, how does that life look? And what does it look like? Well, here in John chapter 8, it just means, means freedom. Like, look at verse 31. So arguing back and forth. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. 
and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's part of Jesus being the light. Like light, it's interesting. When you think about Jesus being a light, in, in John particularly, it's never used physically. It's always used metaphorically to, to speak about him. Like just what is light? Light is enlightenment, right? It is understanding, and it is knowledge. It's, it's coming to truth. And when you see him, believe in him, trust in him, you'll have the light. You abide in his word. You'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. There's a freedom that there is in Jesus that will be given to all who, who believe. And a great picture of that comes in, in John chapter 9. was a man born blind. right? He, he couldn't see at all. And then Jesus went and he healed the man. And the man then you know, just basically gave his testimony. I couldn't see, but now I see. And that's the idea of light there as well. And Jesus says in the... Verse 3 of chapter 9, talking about what about this man? It's not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am light of the world. He's just speaking there about being in the world, like being able to shine in a way that he didn't from heaven. I mean, you think about Christmas when Jesus came to dwell among us. Interesting, in the beginning of John, right, he talked about he, he dwelt among us. John would later say in, in 1 John about how that which we've seen from the beginning, we've heard and we've handled and we've seen and we have touched. 1 John 1, 1 and 3, what we've heard and seen and touched, we proclaim to you. And that's what Jesus is saying here in verse 5 of chapter 9, is that while I'm there, I'm a light in a unique way, that Jesus dwelt among us when he came as a baby in a unique way, that he doesn't now, but that doesn't deny that he is the light. In fact, he will be the light forever. John 21 speaks about how the Lord is the light himself. There's no need for a, a light in the temple because Jesus is the light. But he's the present light. He's the one that gives us freedom. And he did that with the, the man born blind. And this would be, let, let us be free as we know the truth. Well, our last point here. I'm just calling it the leaving light. This is really a point of, of challenge for us here. It's in chapter 12. This is really the, the last public word to the Gentiles. If you look in chapter 12, verse 20, there were among those who went to worship at the feast some Greeks. And they came to, to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And so it's these, these Gentiles were coming and wanting to see Jesus. And then Jesus speaks these last words to them in chapter 12. And then he goes chapter 13 through 17, the upper room discourse, and then he goes off and dies. This is his, his like last words to them in the story of the, the gospel of, of John. And we see them back and forth, back and forth. And, uh, um, and, and then even he says, like in verse 30, 32, he says, I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Verse 33, he, showed, he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we, we've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Just, just confusion all around. I mean, Jesus used this metaphor like he used in John 3 about the serpent being lifted up in the wilderness. But just showing what kind of death he's going to die. He's going to die upon a cross. He's going to die. They're like, what? Can you be here? Are you leaving? They're just confused. But Jesus said this. He said, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light, 
that you may become sons of light. And there, again, you see the similar themes of John. I think someday when I preach through John, it's going to be really difficult. Just these overarching themes again and again and again. He's the light. Believe in the light. Right? That, that you might have life. You might become sons of light. But if you don't, you're going to walk in the darkness. You're going to stumble because you don't know where to go. But Jesus is a light. And even he is saying that I'm here. I'm among you for just a little while longer. And, and he's talking about dying on the cross and leaving and going away. But the exhortation here is to, is to believe while you have the light. It's really for Christmas. Right? Jesus is coming and, and we have the life. The light. Are we going to believe in that light? And John, Jesus says one, one more time about the light. Um, he said in verse 46, he says, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me they may not remain in darkness. And that's when Jesus comes as a light into this world. As he's there, his desire in his heart is that people might not walk in darkness. He, he had pity and compassion upon the crowds who are like sheep without a shepherd. He has compassion on people who are walking in the dark and they don't know. But he's shining forth and he's saying, here I am. Believe and trust in me. But sadly, there are many who, who don't believe. As he, he quotes in verse 38, does John from the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 when the Lord was lifted up lofty and exalted and um, the train of his robe filling the temple is the holiness of God just the grand vision of God and Isaiah has his his sins forgiven and God says right who shall go for me and Isaiah says I'll, I'll go and here's the ministry that Isaiah was to to go on he says in verse 40 he says, He has blinded their eyes, hardened their heart, lest their eyes see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. There it is. You just go and you put forth this message, and they're not going to believe you. They're not going to believe you. They're not going to believe you. Apart from the sovereignty of God. It said, Isaiah said these things because he saw the glory of Jesus and spoke of him. Jesus in Isaiah 6, on the throne. Nevertheless, verse 42, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogues. For they love the glory from man more than the glory that comes from God. And, and Jesus is saying this, well, I'm here, you've got the light, believe in me. And you see some believing and some not. Some, some believing and yet scared, right? not wanting to be dissynagogued. And I just encourage you, above all costs, See the light and believe the light and follow in the light. Because he's going to be the eternal light. And he's the one that's going to shed his light here this dark 2020 day. So let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to see indeed through John, uh, just this simple message, Jesus is the light. And we ought to follow after him, believe him, receive him, trust in him, go his way. God, what a simple message. Thank you that you will receive us into your presence, into your light, to cleanse us, forgive us, make us whole, transform us. God, by your grace. Just I would pray that this Christmas season, how dark things are, that we might not try to swallow it up in materialism or swallow it up in family. And just thank you for the hardships that this year is bringing us. We can't be with family as much. And where um, 
We can't be out as much. We can't stroll on State Street as we did. We can't hear the Messiah being proclaimed. There's just hardships in our life, but I, I pray that these would turn us in so that we would look out to Jesus and for Him alone to satisfy. In the darkness, the light shines even brighter, and may we trust in the one who shines bright, Jesus being the light. We trust you and thank you in Christ's name. Amen.